Welcome in, folks. Time to get deep into the S words that you need to know when you're trying to figure out this whole how to buy a home thing. Let's go. What is the hippity haps, my how to buy a homies? If you're listening to this on drop day, it's probably going to be just before Halloween 2022 and things are getting spooky out there in real estate. That's going to be the S word for the next couple of months as we finish up the year of 2022. And as always, I would like to remind you the headlines that you read about the housing market over the next little while, they're designed that the good headlines are written for the sellers. And when you see headlines that are bad, that's actually good for you. First time home buyers should think of themselves as new buyers on Wall Street with nothing already in the market. All the headlines that you want to see are things are going bad because bad means things are going down. And that's bad for the people who already have money in the market, but not bad for you. You're on the sidelines waiting to jump in. Remember, the news reports, like my boys at Run DMC say, is it's not bad meaning bad, it's bad meaning good. Let's get into the S words. The first one is securities. Well, alphabetically, it's not first, but I thought I would bring it up to the top since we were talking about Wall Street. Securities are financial forms that show the holder owns a share or shares of a company, stock, or it has loaned money to a company or a government organization. That's a bond. Why am I telling you this? Well, MBS or mortgage backed securities, that's what killed the housing market back in the early 2000s. But thankfully, that is behind us. Watch the big short if you don't know what I'm talking about. Next S is a sale lease back. Now, I've already talked about this before. And in case some of you are not regular listeners, I'll explain to you that this is commonly referred to as a lease back or a rent back, but some of the old time real estate people are going to call it a sale lease back. It's when you buy the place and you lease it back to the seller for a specific period of time so they can stay in the home after the official sale. There's more details on that in L and I, and I think R for rent back. The next S is second mortgage. Now your original loan on your home, that's actually called a first mortgage or sometimes referred to as a first. All subsequent loans after that, they get a, a number to designate them in their pecking order. A second mortgage, sometimes called a junior lien. That's the loan you take out on your house. And really the way it works is you're technically using your home as collateral while you still have another loan that is secured by your house. A home equity line of credit or a home equity loan, these are examples of a second mortgage. One of the other terms you might hear when people are talking about real estate on the high finance side is a secondary mortgage market. Not anything that you do, but something that the boys on Wall Street do. Again, the big short. Watch that movie for details. Another term you might hear is a secured loan. Now, any loan that is backed by property, such as a house, a car, or jewelry. So depending on the market, you may be able to get a loan using your home to secure it, a second secured loan. But in more recent times, using your home purely as collateral to actually up the amount of loan that you can get, they're not doing that so much anymore. They actually need to be able to be approved just like you were when you bought your first home. You have to show that you can pay for the payment on your loan that you have on the house. And then you have to show that you still have enough income left over to pay for the new loan that you want, like a home equity line of credit, even though you have the loan as collateral. So don't just think that the collateral of the home 
is enough for you to go get another loan. Our next S is the security interest. Now, these are a whole lot of these big fancy terms the banks like to use with security and all that stuff. But the security interest is something you need to know because that's what the lets the lender be able to foreclose if you don't pay back the money that you borrowed. As I mentioned before, if you ever get in trouble, the time to call your bank, your lender is immediately like right when you miss your first payment. I mean, use this as a guide. Remember this. If your bank charges you a late fee, like let's say on the 15th day of the month. Now, it's not even going to hit your credit till you go a full 30 days late on your payment. I suggest that you call on that 16th day. Who knows? Maybe you can negotiate that late fee doesn't happen because you can come up with some sob story. But once that first 30 day hits and you show a late on your credit and those past dues start piling up, it gets harder and harder to get a deal with your bank. But if you talk to them early, you can work it out using something called mitigation. I hope nothing ever bad happens to you, but if you've ever just remember, and this will stick in the back of your mind, always call the bank early. I've seen so many people that get a little behind, then they get scared, then they get embarrassed, and then they call me, and sometimes it's too late to save their home from foreclosure. And sometimes it's too late for me to save their home from foreclosure. Okay, our next S word I'm really, really excited about. And I'm not supposed to be because I'm a real estate person and I'm supposed to be all about the seller. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Our next one's called seller concessions. If you were even thinking about buying a home in 2020, 2021, or most of 2022, this term, the seller concession, that wasn't even an option. Conceding? No way. Sellers were not doing that. Fortunately, I've been around for a long time and I know exactly how these work because I've been in markets where seller concessions were the norm. The way it works is seller concessions are credits, money to you. They are clauses that are negotiated either with the initial offer or sometime within the contract and it gets the seller to pay you a credit that you usually put towards your closing costs. Look, before you get into the deal, you've already got your closing costs all set up. The seller's going to pay for it. That just means, boom, extra money in your pocket. Now, as the market starts to shift a little bit, sellers might offer concessions to incentivize buyers to purchase the home. They might have to do things to sweeten the deal. And it's usually a contribution towards the buyer's closing costs. Now, sometimes just be aware that depending on the loan product that you use, there are certain limitations and approvals that need to happen to use the credit for closing costs. Fortunately for you, they're pretty good on most of them, like 3%, and some of them are even up to 6% of the purchase price. And ultimately, any kind of concession that you get just leaves more money in your pocket. Now, as with all negotiations, the seller can reject your concessions. <laughs> they can do whatever they want, or they could send you a counter offer and change the concessions, whether it's monetarily or when they give it to you. You never know. There is no rule about how negotiations work in real estate. I say again, there is no rule. Now, there can be standard presumptions based on the current market conditions and the specific sale of a specific property. I might have some guesses on how a normal person would work and would do the deal. But as always, remember, unless the seller is blatantly discriminating against you, there are zero limitations to what that one seller can ask for, to what that one seller can reject, even when it feels like you're giving them the world and it's for no good reason at all. This is a one-off sale. One seller selling one home, one time. If they wanna be a total jackass, they can be. All they have to do is 
decide to put up a huge hard negotiation. And if you don't want to do it, your option is to walk away from the sale. Now, however, if you have a solid team that represents you, I mean, real advocates in your corner, most of the time you can get a gauge on the situation and you can know what you can ask for and what you can hope to get accepted, assuming that they're normal. But again, you know, fortunately for you, as we wrap up 2022, yeah, you're still going to be in that one-off situation. You never know what the seller is going to do. But at the end of this year and heading into 2023, I think you're going to hear a lot more sellers are going to be willing to make some concessions. Our next S word is secured debt. Google says that secured debt is one that is tied to a specific piece of property, such as a house. The property called collateral guarantees repayment of the debt. And if you don't pay it, the creditor can take the property back, a la foreclosure. So secured debt is just fancy jargon for, hey, that's your home loan. <laughs> it's a secured debt, just like you really don't own your car until you pay it off. Yeah, it's just like the title on your car, your pink slip. Take a look at it. It says bank of whatever, doesn't have your name. The next S is seller's agent. Now, why would I feel the need to explain such a simple term to you? I'll get to that in just a second, hang with me. Now, normally the person who represents the buyer is called the buyer's agent. And the person who represents the seller is called the listing agent. And sometimes people call them the seller's agent. Makes sense, guy's selling a home, he lists with you, you're the seller's agent. But because real estate is run by a bunch of archaic dinosaurs in some states or provinces, like my state, California, the person representing the seller is officially called the listing agent on some documents. And the person representing the buyer on documents is called the selling agent. Yep. The agent that represents the buyer in some situations is called the selling agent on many formal documents. That's why I decided to explain what seems like a really simple definition to you. And if you're asking me why, I don't know. It's real estate. It's stupid. The next S is seller's disclosures. This is a big one when you're buying a home. This goes under the whole inspection category. This is the, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? Google's gonna tell you that the seller's disclosures are a group of disclosures by the seller with all the information on the property, which could affect a buyer's decision to buy the property, all of which comes to us to the best of the seller's knowledge. Did you catch the end of that? That's the important part. To the best of their knowledge. See, when it comes to real estate, most lawsuits are when the buyer wants to sue the seller, and it usually revolves around the buyer saying, you should have disclosed X, Y, and Z, something that the buyer found out later after living in the house that they think is going to bring the value down of the, of the home or it's going to cause them some problems. Now, the sellers are routinely protected by that one little phrase in that clause, to the best of their knowledge. The phrase was originally put in place to protect sellers from hardcore Karen buyers who would complain about anything. The people that sign on the dotted line close the deal, and as soon as it's closed, they want to start whining and start trying to get as much money back as they can and just sue because you gave me a bad deal. So in reality, yes, you as the buyer, you have the right to disclosures. Unless it's something extraordinarily obvious that was maliciously hidden and it wasn't something that you as the buyer should have discovered in your own due diligence when you were inspecting the property before you bought it, then the seller can use that little phrase to the best of their knowledge. And they can say, hey, we're not architects, geologists, electricians, plumbers, contractors. And it was to the best of their knowledge. And they didn't intentionally hide anything. So that's the hardcore 
truth bomb about disclosures. Yes, you're supposed to be protected in any real estate transaction. But the bottom line is, if you want something done, you better do it yourself. Don't put your faith in the seller's disclosures. In theory, the whole disclosure thing is there to protect the buyer as before the sale, because the seller is supposed to indicate which items not specific to the property itself, but also potentially related to the enjoyment of the property. They're supposed to tell you about all of it. Like if they're going to talk about property line disputes or pest problems or knowledge of major construction in the area or the fact that the guy across the street has a rave every Thursday night. Sometimes there are military bases and noises. They have to disclose you if it's in the pathway of an airport. You know, if you're right in the runway and the airplanes come over your head, you are kind of a moron if you haven't figured that out on your own. Okay, <laughs> you've got Google satellite. You should be hanging out at the front of the house. There are all kinds of things that can be happening. If you go just go to the house once, you're never going to know. In a mutually amicable deal, the seller should disclose all these different things to you. But their legal liability needs to be proven with absolute certainty that what they did was neglectful in not telling you. It was a neglectful omission that they didn't disclose. Do a thorough inspection. And like I was saying, not just with an inspector one time going to the house, but inspect everything and inspect it on your own. Drive the property at night. Drive it during rush hours. If you're near a school, definitely drive it during school hours to see what the traffic looks like. And investigate the neighborhood thoroughly, weekdays and weekends. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they get so just enamored with the HGTV-ness of the upgrades in the home. They're spending way too much time looking at the shiplap, and they don't realize that the home might not be in the neighborhood that's going to work for them. Whether they could handle a nastier neighborhood, maybe they should spend a little less money, or whether they really wanted a more upgraded neighborhood. Because remember, anything inside the house is changeable, but the neighborhood, that's not changeable, and you have no control over the outside forces of what are going to be around the house. Our next S is seller financing. Now, this is another term that the boomers, your grandparents and your crazy Uncle Eddie are going to tell you all about. Seller financing is a thing, but here's the way it works. Seller financing is buying a home using the seller as your lender instead of a bank or a lender. It's also called a seller take back or owner financing. Seller financing, seller take back, owner financing. This falls under the same category for me as for sale by owner. Let's take a good step back on this. And I have learned this the hard way with working with a lot of my buyers, but I've also just learned it watching real estate for 16 years. Let's think about why would a seller want to be the bank in the situation? Or why would the seller want to sell the home without realtors? Who does that help and why? Okay, in both these situations, the seller is the main person that benefits and you lose the opportunity to have an advocate protecting you, either a lender or a realtor. Now in the for sale by owner, also known as a FISBO, for sale by owner, the seller wants to save money. When you sell a home, you have to pay six, seven, eight percent out to the realtors in the escrow and title, but they don't want to pay that. They want to save money and not pay a realtor. So you have no one protecting you in the deal. Now in a seller financing deal, 
Usually what happens is the seller doesn't want to get all the cash in one lump sum, which would happen if you went and got a loan the regular way. They want you to give them just enough cash so that they don't have to pay taxes. And then they collect your money monthly as they become the lender. Think about both those situations for a moment. Who do they benefit? Are you sure that you are getting the best deal when the seller is asking for the transaction to be conducted in this manner? Well, I started this telling you S was a scary word and there's going to be some scary stuff going on in real estate. And that last little definition was pretty ominous. And I've got a lot more S words, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to wrap it up right now. I've got more S's than I care to do at this moment. This is going to be another two-parter. Rate, review, share the podcast, find everything you need at howtobuyahome.com and keep on learning. You can do this.